the Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Welcome listeners to the Waterfall Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Nelson, here with our resident expert, Andrew Ginter, Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions, who will be introducing the subject and the interview guest for today's show. Andrew? Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Paul Feldman, an independent director in a number of organizations in the electric sector in North America. Uh, Paul will be talking about cybersecurity from the perspective of a board member, from the perspective of executive discussions, oversight, and governance. Paul worked 27 years with AT&T Bell Labs. He was recruited to come over into the energy industry when the electric sector was deregulated a couple of decades ago. Um, Paul spent the last 20 years with electric utilities. He was the CEO of a couple of different electric utilities, and he spent the last 10 years sitting on boards of directors and advisory boards with electric utilities. Paul is also a fellow of the National Association of Corporate Directors. In recent years, Paul has been increasingly involved with cybersecurity oversight and advisory roles. Um, in short, Paul is uh, an executive and a director with considerable experience in the oversight of cybersecurity in the electric sector. I'm wondering, Andrew, as someone who knows Paul as well as you do, why Paul's perspective is valuable and what those in his position have to offer to the larger cyber defense discourse. Cybersecurity is more than technology. Practitioners like, well, me, um, might be focused on the technology and on the bits and bytes, but cybersecurity always involves a security program as well as security technologies. Um, you know, my, my personal focus is security technologies, but the program is as important as the technology. And oversight of the program is what provides funding for the program, and it is what provides uh, guidance and objectives and goals to the program. And so oversight is, is vital to the program, and uh, the program is as important as the technology that I, I personally love to focus on. We invited Paul to contribute to this podcast because uh, boards of directors are the highest level of governance in industrial enterprises. We wanted Paul to give all of our listeners some, you know, it, it doesn't matter if our listeners are other executives uh, participating at Paul's level and coming up against cybersecurity issues, or, or if our listeners are line managers or individual contributors, um, in the cybersecurity space, we wanted to give everyone the, the benefit of his insights, insights into what kind of security issues are visible at the board level and what role boards of directors play uh, in, in which kinds of security decisions and at, you know, what, what kind of guidance they are providing to business at the very highest level. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Paul Feldman. What is the job of a board of governors? So board of governors is a term, board of directors is probably a more common term, but uh, a board of governors or board of directors, their job is to uh, oversee management. Um, manage, 
a lot of people think a board is responsible for running the company. That's that's not true. They they actually make very few decisions. They they get involved with major decisions and, and vote on those sorts of things. But by and large, they're responsible for overseeing management to make sure that management is uh, doing you know a, a a good job. And so they they have a, a board has. Uh, fiduciary responsibility, which is the highest level of responsibility for that which they're ultimately responsible, which is the company. And then within that fiduciary responsibility, they would have a duty to of reasonable care. They would exercise reasonable care, their skill, um, their diligence uh, to protect the interest of the stockholders or stakeholders in the company. Um, they can rely on experts. The board can rely on experts to do that um, to some extent in, in the cybersecurity. Well, in, in general, a board is compiled of the people they need to understand various subjects, you know, accounting, let's say marketing, et cetera. And it's been fairly easy to assemble those sorts of people looking back. Now we have cybersecurity, you know, a complex subject that is of extreme importance to virtually every company these days and boards find themselves without that skill. So you you start to get into the area of relying on experts. Those experts can be uh, within management uh, and or outside. I I would highly recommend outside experts as well as management uh, because management, you know, can get – let's say, uh, a little tight with the truth sometimes uh, when it comes to these complex subjects and the board of directors. Maybe they think the board won't understand. Maybe they think um, that it doesn't need to be disclosed, et cetera. But uh, it's, it's good to have management in the room, but also to get outside experts in terms of cybersecurity. And a board of directors can, can rely on that for their duty of care, but they just can't take what's said and uh, believe it to be true. They have to uh, delve into it a bit, ask some questions, make sure they understand um, what's what's being said uh, by the questioning process. And most boards will have outside counsel. They would have an outside attorney that is counsel to the board, and that outside attorney would sit in on those meetings and basically check the box to make sure that the board has exercised their duty of care by asking questions, uh, especially in those areas where they don't have, you know, extensive training. Now, when we think about cybersecurity commonly, images of hackers in dark rooms and zeros and ones come to mind. What role does a board play in this bigger picture? In what ways do they affect cybersecurity? So the, I'd say the main role the board plays when it comes to cybersecurity is one of risk management. Um, obviously, cybersecurity presents a risk to uh, utility. Um, the, the possibility of an attack is extremely high. They all get many attacks every day. Uh, successful attacks are, are obviously much less frequent. Um, 
successful attacks on the, I, I got to divide the world between information technology world or the enterprise, which is, you know, the email systems and, and uh, payroll and those kind of systems from what's called operational technology, which are the components that actually run the electric grid. And uh, they represent two different sorts of risks. If a hacker gets access to the IT side, let's say the email system, which is pretty easy to do and happens all the time uh, through a phishing attack, which is a, an email where it has a, um, a link to a bad site that will shove uh, malware onto your computer. That happens fairly frequently. Um, but on the IT side, you know, if things go bad, you just get a new, you just go to your backup and mount the backup and you're back in business. If a hacker gets over to the operational technology side, the side that's running the grid, then you're talking about a whole other level of seriousness because there are no backups. Um, you just can't go get a backup to the grid. If a hacker does bad things, it's going to show up in terms of people losing power. Uh, and when that happens, uh, bad things start to happen. I mean, you can't get gasoline. People with on respirators have problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are two different kinds of world, and the board needs to divide their thinking about risk into those two areas. On the So I'll talk more about the operational technology side for a second because that's the more critical one, as I indicated. There's a low probability of a successful attack there, but the price to pay for a successful attack is extremely high. So if you, if you want to think about it, you got a low probability of something happening, but the price tag, which is pain to customers, uh, and, and possibly death, et cetera, um, is extremely high. You're multiplying a low number toward against a, a really small number against a really large number. And so that math, which normally gets into risk management, isn't very helpful. Um, and so a board needs to, again, get with the, uh, CIO, the chief information officer, and the CISO, the chief information security officer, and ask questions. And uh, I've written some about the right questions to ask uh, with a couple board members from other companies. And one of the questions to ask, which is, I think, one of the very, very most important questions is, what kinds of attacks, you know, given our current cybersecurity posture, the things we've deployed to protect ourselves, what attacks are we still subject to? And you get into an interesting debate, I'm thinking about one now that happened, where the answer coming back from the CIO and CISO was, well, we're not, you know, we're, we're protected. But it didn't take long. Of course, that, that kind of an answer deserves more questioning. And it didn't take long before uh, a few questions exposed, you know, the notion that, well, they weren't protected against some things. Um, and that discussion went on and on and on, by the way, and it, it got to be quite a long list of things that uh, the company was not protected against. But without going into that list, um, once you have that list, 
then a board has to think about, okay, am I exercising my duty of care by leaving that list alone and simply swallowing that we're subject to those kinds of attacks? Is that the best thing for the stockholders and stakeholders of the company? Or should I allocate more budget to get half of those crossed off the list and I'll live with the other half? So it's that exact question, I think, that is the crux point for boards relative to cybersecurity. You know, what are you willing to live with um, and and not fund uh, whatever technology would be needed to dampen that exposure down? And what budget are you going to allocate to get things off of that, quote, list that virtually every company has? So, so that's kind of how I would wrap it up in a nutshell in terms of how a board would think about that question and, and what they would do. Paul, what do you believe are today's most prominent board-level ICS security debates? Well, the first, the first debate, I think, is really related to what I just said, and that's, you know, how much protection do you want to garner around yourself and what are you willing to pay? And that's, that's a debate at virtually every board meeting. Another one is relative to nation-state attacks. So the words nation-state attack are are generally used to describe, you know, hackers in Russia or hackers in uh, northern Korea uh, and other places that are sponsored by the state, the country, and the military of the state. And so they have almost infinite resources um, both money and talent uh, to mount at an attack. So we call that nation state, uh, nation state attack. So virtually all utilities agree that they're not capable of withstanding a nation state attack. That's a concerted effort by another country's military to penetrate our grid. And so the result of that realization causes the utilities to look to the government and say, as you might imagine, you know, you should protect us. In other words, you should intercept these attacks. They would say that to the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, or or DOD, the Department of Defense. But the message back from government is that you guys have to protect yourselves. So it's kind of a Mexican, not to mix another country in here, but it's kind of a Mexican standoff in that the government can't really say to the utilities, will protect you because then utilities let their guard down. But the utilities know that they're open to, you know, really concerted professional attacks. Um, and so that, you know, they're wise to ask for help from the government. So that's always a debate. Um, then you have the debates about within the board, what committee is going to be responsible for cybersecurity. Sometimes it's the Audit and Finance Committee who usually says no because they're too busy. Um, in in one of the boards um, that I was sitting in and uh, that, that I was on and uh, we had that debate, we decided to form a technology committee that would be responsible for, you know, the broad question of technology. Um, and then as a subset, uh, a fairly large subset, would focus on cybersecurity. I would actually advise that to 
most boards to think about forming a technology committee. It's, it's not very common at all, but when you start to think about it, virtually every business is totally reliant on technology these days. And then, you know, just to kind of wrap it up on the subject of the kind of debates that are going on, um, how much, there's two other things that come to mind, I guess, you know, how much do you want to rely on management versus outside uh, expertise in terms of cybersecurity, as I brought up before, that's usually a debate. And then organizational structure is is uh, a debate that goes on, and particularly regarding the CIO and the CISO. So, again, the CISO is the Chief Information Security Officer. Almost always the CIO will report to the CEO, the, t- the top of the company. But the CISO is different. Um, the CISO may report to the CIO. That happens a lot. But also a, uh, a more modern approach is to have the CISO actually report to the CEO as well. And the reason is that cybersecurity is much broader than information technology or the CIO's role. Every person in the company has to be involved in cybersecurity. And I'll, and I'll go back to the phishing, uh, phishing attack thing that I had mentioned earlier. Almost no company is able to get successful phishing attacks down below 10%. In other words, companies often launch their own phishing attacks against their own people to understand where they are relative to education. Now, of course, the links are not dangerous, but they send emails to employees where the employees should know not to click on certain links, but they do click on those links. And those, it's very hard to get that below 10%. Um, so it's just an example of where really every company is involved in cybersecurity and there's a, a heavy argument that the CISO ought to report to the CIO in order to help set the tone at the top relative to the seriousness of every employee's focus on cybersecurity. I'd like you to paint a picture for us of a time when an organization you worked for got hacked. Without divulging any confidential details, could you tell us what happened and what role you played? Yeah, I can do that as long as I don't mention any companies. (laughs) Um, So... In this particular instance, I'm thinking about um, the company was hacked, and the next thing that happened was, of course, the board wasn't in session while it happened. That, that would be serendipitous. But um, so the first thing that happened was the CIO, I'm sorry, the CEO called the board members individually and told them that, you know, the company was had been hacked, but that... Management was on top of it, and it was being taken care of. So the next thing that happened was, you know, the directors got together in individual conversations and decided that, you know, this was not something that simply should be left alone. And so we called a special board meeting. It was telephonic, um, according to the bylaws, and so we called a meeting of the board that was telephonic to discuss and to get more information on what had happened. Because even though 
from management's perspective, it was being taken care of and, and there shouldn't be an alarmist kind of attitude. Um, the board thought it was appropriate to get together and, and have a chat about it. And, and so we did. And, and the CIO, Chief Information Officer, you know, talked about the attack and what had happened. Um, but, and what had happened, I could kind of go into that. What had happened was a vendor of the company was actually hacked. And through that vendor, um, because the vendor had connections into the company, communications connections, the attackers were able to bridge or pivot from the supplier of the company into the company. And so, you know, they had gained access to the IT side of the company, again, through this, through this supplier. Um, and, you know, so we had kind of a long chat about that. It's like, well, you know, why wasn't that on the radar kind of a thing? Uh, maybe some second guessing. Um, but the bottom line was that, you know, management was expecting vendors to have cyber protections and, um, you know, to do their thing so that the company would be protected from such a thing. The, the lesson learned really is, you have to take responsibility for what happens to your company, no matter what the source is. Um, if a vendor is able, if a vendor gets hacked and is able to get into the IT side, and then the attackers are able to pivot over to the equipment side, then it's extremely serious um, and needs to be treated as such. And so, you can't just assume that your vendors are cybersecure, you really have to meet with them, understand their level of protection, and assure yourself as management so that you can assure the board that uh, these vendors that have communications links into my company are indeed cybersecure, and I trust them and their protections like I trust the ones we have deployed in our own company. That actually led to a larger discussion of supply chains because vendors are part of the supply chain, but supply chains really extend to um, hardware, software, and vendors. So, you know, how do we know the software that we're buying and utilizing doesn't have problems, uh, cybersecurity problems? How do we know that the hardware that we're buying uh, hasn't had some extra board inserted that has uh, malware on it so that when we put it into service, we're just putting malware into service in our own, in our own uh, control rooms. So you end up with chain of custody kinds of discussions, you know, who has the hardware at, at what particular point in time. And it gets to be extremely complicated because if you talk about a relay or a certain piece of equipment in the electrical grid, the components in, in, the, in that piece of equipment come from all over the world, and the circuit board in that in that in that piece of equipment uh, on which the components all get connected um, gets made in a different place in the world. So, and so, you know, it, it's not an easy problem to protect yourself 
when it comes to the supply chain. And it, and it is a problem that, uh, that the standards authorities are trying to tackle right now. Um, probably the newest problem in the industry or the newest kind of realization that we need to do better in that particular area. So, you know, that's, that's how that particular penetration happened and what the fallout was. All right, Paul, thank you for sitting with me. Yeah, it's, it's uh, my pleasure. I'm glad to do it anytime. That was my conversation with Paul Feldman. I'm back now with Andrew Ginter. To start off, perhaps this is an abstract question, but how much of cybersecurity is governance versus the actual hands-on work of fighting hacks? In other words, in realms of government and industry, how much of the equation is occupied by people like Paul versus those actually typing on computers? Well, what I heard Paul say and, and what I wanted to summarize is that at the board level, the board and the executive are dealing with high-level risks. Paul mentioned risk management. Um, you know, the, the, the board is not going to specify that you should use this technology and not that technology. The board is concerned with risks to shareholder value or or to an organization's mandate when it's, uh, when it's not privately funded but a, a public organization. Um, and risk management. Uh, and Paul perhaps did not go into detail because, uh, you know, maybe he takes this for, for granted because he does risk management, uh, you know, risk management all day long. This is, this is his business. Um, risk management 101 says that we really have three choices to deal with risk. We can take steps, that is spend money. We can take steps to reduce the risk, for instance, by making uh, security programs and security systems more robust. This is called mitigating the risk. Or we can transfer the risk to a, uh, a willing third party, usually an insurance company, by purchasing a policy and having the insurance company reimburse us if, uh, if the risk is realized and we suffer a, a loss as a result. Um, in this case, uh, the result of a cyber attack. Or we can accept the risk, which means do nothing. And we then need to be willing to suffer the consequences if the risk is realized and we are hacked and we suffer a loss. Now, a thing about risk in the industrial space that is different from the IT space is that some risks cannot be transferred. And this even has analogs in the IT space, but I'm thinking specifically of reputational risk. To my knowledge, we cannot buy insurance for reputational risk because it's so hard to quantify. If an industrial operation is shut down for a significant period of time or, or is shut down frequently, um, even for shorter periods of time, the enterprise suffers damage to its reputation as a reliable supplier. And in a great many industries, a reliable supply, especially of commodities, of, of gasoline, of electricity, of clean water, um, this supply is very important. And if we suffer damage to that reputation, uh, it's very difficult to put a clear number on how much damage was suffered. And so insurers are very reluctant to offer any kind of policy to reimburse reputational damage. But reputational damage can be significant. If we suffer a long outage or repeated outages, we may wind up with less business overall, or our products may command a lower price because we cannot guarantee their availability. 
So, so it's all about risk management. And as easy as it seems to some of us to say, go buy an insurance policy, some risks like reputational risks, we just have to accept or mitigate do things to reduce the risk and reduce the possibility of suffering these kinds of losses. So if we're to think about cybersecurity in terms of risk management, are business leaders such as Paul around the country, around the world, properly addressing this problem? There's this trope now, every company that you can think of is either hacked or going to be hacked. If that's the case, are executives taking on too much risk or just not thinking about cyber risk enough? In my opinion and in my experience of working with industry, it is rare to run across an individual like Paul who has experience and the ability to contribute at the board level at the highest level of governance in these organizations and has a good understanding of cybersecurity governance. Uh, Look at the example Paul gave. Uh, Too many executives, when asked, how's our security doing, will answer, well, We've got that covered. Don't you worry. And not enough, in my opinion and my experience, not enough board members have the ability to ask the next level of detail. They're not sure what questions to ask. So this is why I thought having Paul on here and getting his perspective and explaining what kinds of questions to ask of executives, how the board can and should be be interacting with the with executives um, is important uh, for you know, not only explaining to individual contributors who are designing security systems so that, you know, they can understand what the guidance they're getting from senior management means and how those decisions are made. But, you know, hopefully we've got some director level people listening to people like Paul and consulting uh, people like Paul so that this kind of governance where we have directors who understand cybersecurity issues thoroughly, um, not necessarily at a deep technical level, but, you know, understand at the governance level, um, you know, Hopefully, these people can come up to speed and can be contributing to cyber risk management governments, uh, you know, more concretely in their organizations. It's my experience that this is a gap in the governance in a lot of industries and a lot of enter- enterprises, uh, and it's it's a gap that that very much needs to be filled. A resource that might be useful. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a technical white paper, but it, it does talk about attacks. A resource that might prove useful is something we have on the waterfall website called the top 20 cyber attacks on industrial control systems. Uh, Paul mentioned that boards can be asking executives about cyber attacks that can and cannot be mitigated by the enterprise's current security posture. We have this white paper that describes attacks across a spectrum of sophistication. Um, Listeners might find it useful, uh, if they're interested, to dig into the topic and see what kind of attacks are out there, from from attacks that everyone should be able to mitigate successfully to, you know, the most sophisticated attacks where it's really difficult to imagine anyone mitigating them successfully. We have this spectrum described and we hope it will provide a, a useful reference if people are thinking about exploring the strength of security programs uh, by looking at what kinds of attacks can and cannot be reliably defeated. The paper is in the uh, Security 101 section of the Waterfall website. It's the, the top 20 attacks. On that note, thank you, Andrew, for speaking with me. Until next time, this has been the Industrial Security Podcast. 